Hi, I'm Kevin Hillier. Welcome to episode two of Go West, the real estate podcast. Today, once again, Rob Westwood will join me from uh, First National Westwood to talk about a, a range of topics that will help you, whether you're buying, selling, investing, or renting in the real estate market in the western suburbs. Today, we'll have a look at things like choosing an agent, multi-listing, how that magical price appears uh, in all your social media platforms when you put your house on the market. Uh, we'll talk about open for inspections, off-market listings, the plans that uh, you'll be looking for uh, from your agent when you go to sell your house, uh, the hidden costs, the hidden things to look for, and whether this time of year is a good time to be buying or selling. All that coming up in this podcast. Hope you'll enjoy it. From uh, First National Westwood, and of course you can contact uh, Rob there at westwoodfn.com.au. Simple as that for the website, and the telephone number is 9742 They'll help you with any inquiries that you have about real estate in the West, whether it's buying or selling or investing or renting. But let's get into the nitty-gritty of today's episode two of Go West, the real estate podcast with Rob Westwood. Choosing an agent. Now, obviously, that is that is one of the major decisions you will make when you decide to put your house on the market. What advice would you give to people about what they should look for in an agent? I mean, obviously, you're in an enviable position because the Westwood name has been in the Western suburbs real estate for 50 years, 20 plus years yourself. Your reputation precedes you. What should people look for when they when they go to choose an agent? Uh, this yeah, this is a, an interesting one, you know. And I suppose it's like if you're looking for a, a surgeon to do heart surgery on you, you'd be looking for somebody with experience and not somebody who's fresh out of medical school. And you know, so I would suggest people look for experience. I would suggest they it's got to be an, someone they can trust because you're giving them your biggest asset to sell. So you have to be able to trust the agent and trust that they're going to do the best possible job for you. I think they need to have a, a, a realistic plan as to how you're going to go about the uh, the, the process. Um, you know, somebody who listens to what you want and what you're hoping to get out of the, out of the, uh, the transaction, so to speak. Yeah, and I keep coming back to trust because really that's the biggest thing. So, and I say to a lot of you know my vendors, whether they become my vendors or not, choose the agent that you think is the best person to get you know you the best possible result, or if you think that you could work with, and then negotiate a commission that works for both sides. You know that is acceptable for both because we all have our rate or we all have our value and as do you, you have an hourly rate that you would charge for, for different jobs. Yeah. It's all the same for us. So, you know, why why ask an agent to, to why ask them to be underpaid when you want them to work a hundred percent for you. So multi listing is something that uh, is always brought up. What's your what's your personal feelings on that and your professional feelings on that? Because that they might be different. No and no. One, one person, one job, yep. um, two people, half a job. Buyers will go to the weaker of the negotiators to, to, to buy the property. And, you know, it, it, whether it's, and again, I say to, to people, if it's if it's not me, if it's somebody else, that's fine, but just use one agent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And, and run, run, run a good campaign. There's, there's that, the word where you talk about trust, the other word, I guess, in what you've just talked about then is commitment and it's commitment from both parties to get the best possible result 
for both parties, not just for one. Very much so. Uh, one thing I want to ask, we see now a price range for a property. When did that come in? I know we've always, when you when you go and look at a house, you think it'll be somewhere between, let's say, seven hundred and $800,000. But now that's actually physically on the listings when you go and look at uh, websites for, for, for houses. By law, there is a 10% price range we can use. A lot of the, the issues we have in, in today's market, because it is so, you know, the, the prices do fluctuate and you've, you've, you've seen it yourself where the price that they're advertising the property for is not what it sells for. So an agent will put a 10% price range on it and generally that'll be in, in the price range that they believe the property will sell based on comparable sales. What the market pays for it can be different. Yep. But also sometimes that, that price range is used where a vendor may have, uh, a seller may have an unrealistic or a, a quite a high expectation of price. If you ask, if, if the property is worth $700,000, but you're asking $800,000 hoping to, to negotiate down, people won't come and look at it. You're actually better to ask six fifty to seven and get lots of people to look at it. If it's worth seven hundred, if it's worth more than that, it'll sell for that. But you have to get people to come and look at it. Hence, you know, you don't look at a property and expect to buy it at the bottom of the price range today. Yeah. When people come to you and they're looking to, to buy, are they are they very definite in their okay, I can't spend any more than seven hundred thousand. That is my absolute limit. I can't go over it. Is that how is that how people shop for real estate now? Yes, a large percentage of them are, and they, they can say that's the limit. I, I can't spend a cent over uh, seven hundred, and then three weeks later they buy something for seven twenty. <laughs> so so there's, there's always some money to be found somewhere, whether it's and again I don't know where they they find it, whether it's a relative or a friend or a parent or or an extra credit card through the broker, whatever it may be. But yeah, usually they've got a set budget, and most people. For the right home, of course, will pay more. Yeah, these days you can go and look at all sorts of different websites and uh, and and get uh, valuations on your property. And then once you once you enter that market, you have a, there's a tendency for you to be snowed under with emails from 25 different sources telling you what your lovely house is worth. Now the the disparity in those figures is unbelievable. Where does that come from and where do they get a figure that one minute your house is worth 700000 and the next minute they're telling you it's worth $1.2 million? Uh, well, that's, it's actually, it's an algorithm. Most of the information, our sales information goes through a couple of sources, RP Data or another one's called Price Finder. All the sales results go through there. Yep. The computer basically says, okay, uh, you bought the property five years ago and you paid $400,000 based on growth, blah, 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 it's now worth $650,000, okay? The algorithm doesn't come and look inside your home. It doesn't gauge whether it's a, a good home or it's just a house. Yeah, that's why they fluctuate so wildly, and they shouldn't fluctuate by any more than 10%, but they clearly they do. Oh, they do. It's, it's, quite, it's quite preposterous, to be honest, the, the difference in one, the price you'll get one day and two days later you'll get something that's, Two or three hundred thousand dollars difference. Yes, and a lot of those websites, or the majority of them, they're collecting data. They want you to inquire to them. They want you to put in your email address, phone number, and then they want to market you as a potential seller out to the real estate agents, and they want to sell them, you know, sell your details to those agents. So there's a couple of websites that are, um, are quite 
big in it and there are a couple of others and, and realestate.com will, will end up doing that thing. They're sort of heading that way at the moment. The reality will sink in that your house isn't worth $1.2 million when you actually put it on the market, isn't it? Correct. Yes. Correct. And again, that, that comes down to the experience of your agent. You have to look at comparable sales. If the house next to yours is exactly the same house and it sells for six hundred and fifty grand, it, it makes sense that yours is worth about the same, plus or minus the differences between the two homes. The, the, the wild differences in the sale prices come when you have two or three or four people fighting for that one home at the time that it, you know at the time that they're buying. Well, that again, that's market uh, variation, isn't it? That's the that's the marketplace. That's so demand. Demand will always push the price up. But again, the the homes in the city of Wyndham are just so affordable and you know really really good value. Hope you're enjoying Go West, the real estate podcast. I'm Kevin Hillier. With me is Rob Westwood. And if you want to know anything about uh, real estate in the western suburbs, talk to the people, uh, Rob's team, at First National Westwood. You can find their website, westwoodfn.com.au, or give them a call, 9742 Your thoughts on when you talk to sellers about open for inspections and ha- having your house open uh, for people to come through? Should the vendor get out of the house, not be anywhere near the joint when these things happen? Because yes. <laughs> I know when I've looked at I know when I've looked at place and there's people in there, you you feel uncomfortable. You don't feel like you can look where you want to look and and do the things you want to do to see if this is going to be the house you're going to buy. Yeah, and you would also feel that you couldn't say what you wanted to say. You know, you may want to say something that's, you know, to, to make obviously the owner sitting there or, or, or in the property and you want to make, don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to say, geez, it needs a coat of paint or geez, it stinks of smoke. So, so, you know, yes, get out of the property. You know, yes, present it as best as you possibly can. Um, you know, people will bot walk in and they'll even fall in love with the furniture in a home rather than the home. It's a yep. little bit misleading that way. But, yeah, the, the, the open homes are an opportunity uh, for people to actually have a look, get a feel for the home. Um, that's why we, we the majority of the time, um, certainly in occupied properties, have two agents at the property, one getting details at the door and the other one inside the property. And it's not so much about watching what they're doing. It's about seeing how they feel about the property, reading their body language, seeing the things that, that people don't see, like the touch when you you see something and you look at your partner to see if they've seen it too. They're the giveaways that show whether people are interested or not interested in it too. Yep. And they can talk openly and freely. Yep. Uh, in uh, in the motor trade, they call it tyre kickers. I don't know what it's called in the real estate industry, but a lot of people who just come through to have a look, to, to gauge the market, to see what is available, isn't available. Is is the percentage of that increasing or decreasing, or is it about the same most times? I think it's probably about the same. I, you know, there's certainly those ones out there. But I, I welcome it, Kevin. I, I think if one of the neighbours want to come and have a look at the property and I tell my, my vendors this as well, that's great. Yep. Because the actual buyers don't know that they're just neighbours. You know, come along. You know, we also call them potential sellers, Kevin. So, you know, it's nice. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a very good point. And a lot of the time they'll tell you, I'm just from down the road. That's okay. Come in, give us your details and come and have a look. Yeah. Which brings me to another thing. I've noticed a, a very heavy advertising campaign on television lately for properties that aren't even listed 
they're off-market properties, so they're not for sale, but they might be, for instance, the house next door might actually be my dream house. It might have the, the number of bedrooms I want, the, uh, you know, the high ceilings, all the things I want in a house might be the house next door. There's now a company that actually gets you to register your house, even if you're not selling it. So as if mm. someone else puts in the, in the data into, into the computer or whatever and says, this is the sort of house I want, they'll say, well, that house is actually this address. And when it comes on the market, we'll tell you it's on the market because it's your dream home, yep. which seems to me to be a very weird way of going about it. There's a lot of these companies doing that and they've got different ideas about how they're going to market. But if they can sell the data for, for those buyers to an agent, you know, there's there's billions of dollars in real estate transactions every year, and everybody, all of these companies, are trying to get a chunk of it. They know there's so much out there to be had. They figure out they want to be a part of it. That's why realestate.com keep putting their prices up. Okay. Because they can. You mentioned uh, one of the things uh, that uh, is attractive about an agent is when you sit down and talk to them that there's a plan that they have a plan. Has the actual structure of selling a house changed much over recent times, given that we're now in this, you know, computerised generation where we, we sell a lot of things online? I know we talked in the last podcast about probably walking through the front door of a property now is, is literally your second inspection because you've spent a hell of a lot of time online looking at it. Has the actual structure of selling changed much? No, no, not really. I, I think the the certainly some of the ways of marketing has. We're certainly more social media and, and that's subliminal, I call it, but stuff that appears in your feeds, yep. that marketing's increased. Um, but again, th- this market is, is because it's so strong with home owners and potential first-home buyers, they want to look, they want to touch, they want to feel, they want to get a feel for the home. So, you know, it, I think I said to you last week, Sarah would not buy a home without looking inside it. Yeah, no. It would be so, so you may, but most most females, and as we know, they're the main decision makers, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, they want to look, they want to fit there. So, so certainly there's auctions happening online and, and, you know, virtual inspections and so forth, but it's it's really, really a low percentage of properties that sell like that, you know, and I think of those a really high percentage of those buyers would be investors who don't have an emotional attachment to yep. it, just a mathematical thing. We talked about in the last podcast about, uh, you know, making sure that you have uh, the property checked in terms of, uh, you know, for structural issues and all those sorts of things. Are there any hidden costs when, you, when you're looking at a property that you should be thinking about that don't sort of appear straight into your, into your thinking when you're just walking around a place, falling in love with the place? No, I, I think not many. Nothing that should be that you should, could couldn't see. But I also, as as again, I think everybody should get a building and pest inspection done on a property when they buy it. Um, that should tell you if there's any major um, structural defects. And even on properties that are one or two years old, still get a building and pest inspection done on it because some of them are falling apart. Um, it's quite easy to patch up the the cosmetic things inside a home, like plaster cracks and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, but a, a registered building inspector, someone who knows what they're doing or, you know, somebody, again, that you can trust, um, might even be a family member to have a look at it. But, yeah. you know, if there's major structural issues with a, a new home today on the slab, they're reasonably easy to see. Um, but a good building inspection inspector will go through and look at all of that stuff. And, and the slab 
the construction of them and not as good as what the older homes used to be. So, um, you know, other than that, as long as, you know, the roof looks okay, and again, building inspector, inspector will tell you all of that stuff and make sure you get the termite inspection done. Yeah, because there was a time when, I mean, because Hopper's Crossing in particular is on a uh, some sort of fault line type thing where there was a lot of properties that were shifting and moving around in the, in yeah. the original old part of, of Hopper's, the first part oh, of Hopper's. I, I, I think when they subdivided that land, they may have just sort of bulldozed it and cleared it and didn't sort of compact anything where there may have been dams and channels. So yeah. there's quite a few of those homes and that I think the Woodville Estate's the one you think. Yes, you know, yes. There's been houses that have actually been, you know, actually knocked down because they're falling apart. Yeah. Um, but, you know, today, and it's pretty easy to spot. There's there's a lot of things around a house. I look like the, the lines along the brick walls. You know, it's, it stands out, you know, the gap either side of your windows from either side, if, if they're open at the top and closed at the bottom, means that there's some movement there clearly in the yeah. slab. The way they used to construct, to construct the properties back then where they actually had, you know, sand, proper sand, um, you know, and plastic and sand and, and properly constructed, they're pretty good. It's just the new stuff they're using, the waffle pods, is, uh, the, the foam pods they're using under them. They just, they just don't hold together. Back with more of Go West, the real estate podcast, talking to Rob Westwood, the man who's been uh, dealing in Western Suburbs property for over 20 years now and with a family history that's over five decades. You can check it all out on their website, westwoodfn.com.au or give them a call, 9742 Making an offer and cooling off periods and all those sorts of things that happen uh, when you when you walk into a house, you fall in love with it, and you go, "Okay, I, I I want to make an offer." Is the process of that changed, or is that still exactly the same as it as it has been forever and a day? Yeah, that's that. That is pretty well the same. You, you get a three day cooling off period. Uh, you can't sign away your right to that. So no matter what anybody says, you've got it unless you're buying it at auction or I think it's within three days of a an advertised auction. Making an offer really is. What's your price? Some of it's a verbal negotiation with the owners. Um, some agents will just ask you to put it on a contract. If the, the owner really wants five hundred grand for a property and somebody's offering four twenty, there's not a lot of point of putting it on a contract and take it to the owner. So, yeah. and ideally, you know, you, you sit down with your agent, you put the details on the contract, price, deposit, settlement terms, and any other conditions, which is your building and pest inspection and and so forth, and what your settlement terms are. And the, you know the agent will present them to the to the owner. The agent will generally know, even though they say they don't. They generally know where they want to be, uh, where the owners want to be. Um, they may not tell you. They shouldn't tell you. Um, you know, they should let you make the running on it. Yeah, and I'm assuming that there are times when the when the owners will surprise you as well by going, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, no, I'll take that." Yes, um. <laughs> yeah, not 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 very often, but sometimes they do. And you go, "What? Wait, no, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. just just let, let me." And we did. We actually did have one recently where um, we we made a couple of reductions in the prices and so forth, and they got an got an offer, and they said, "Yep, we'll take that." And I said, "Well, hang on a second. Let's." They ended up. Um, they got an extra forty thousand dollars because. They, they waited. Uh, we waited another week, but we we ran a couple more in- inspections and got some more competition. And is, is is that the other bit of advice that you would give to both buyers and sellers? Is not to rush in, is to take your time with these things, and uh, because you can walk into a house, fall in love with it, and say, "I want it right now." 
depends how many they've looked at because some people have looked at, at and missed out. Again, when somebody's making an offer, we'll ask them, have you made offers on other properties? Have you tried to buy any others? You know, why didn't you, you know, why did you not buy them? What was the reason? Sometimes a lot of them, people, they missed out on three or four properties. And sometimes they just walk in and they just go, okay, I want it and I'm going to pay above the price range for it. You, of course, ask them if they're sure you're ready to commit. Yes, you're happy to go ahead with it. We take it. That's that's what it is. From a selling point of view, if your house has been on the market for how long before you start to reassess where the where the house sits, is that is that based on how many people are asking about it? It's no longer uh, you know you've put it on the market. So let's say let's just pick a figure and say seven hundred thousand dollars. You put it on the market for there hasn't been any interest. It, there's there's no no traffic going through the place. No people are asking about it. The advertising's not generating anything. How long do you let that go before you, you reassess where you're at? Normally within the first week, you'll know if the price is right or wrong. Yeah. Because the very first inspection, if it's priced right and it's a good home, the people will come. Yep. So usually you, you you might run two weeks before you, you sort of make any adjustments, but you need to make them reasonably quickly because yeah, people won't come back and look at it after They've seen it once and thought it was too dear. Even if you change the price, they often won't come back. Yeah. When you're looking at houses and you and you see a house where the where the price is changed, is is dropped down significantly, is that when the when the buyers go, "You're beauty, we've got them." Absolutely, it does. And I think it's it's. I would I would be thinking that way too. If I saw a significant price reduction on something I was interested in, I would certainly jump in on it. Yeah. Is is this time of the year? A good time to buy, a good time to sell, a good time to – is the Christmas New Year period changed the way people go about, you know, buying or selling? I believe it has. I The last three years we've had uh, – we've been lucky enough to have some listings that go online around the, the Christmas Eve time. So realistically they're sitting online uh, through that Christmas period and people who are looking to buy a home are not necessarily going away from holidays – so they're at home or they're, you know, they might be on holidays, they might be down the beach, they still got their iPad or their phone, they're still, and if they're looking to buy, they're still looking to buy. Yeah. So we'll find that first week back in, in, in first lot of open homes back in uh, January, the, the stuff that came online just before Christmas will be more than likely sold after that weekend of inspections. It just, yeah, I, the email inquiry will fly through that Christmas holiday break. Um, one of our guys will be available to do inspections and so forth. But, yeah, people, certainly with technology today, you don't go away and just sit at the beach and don't do anything. If you're looking for a house, you're looking for a house. And if something pops up, you're going to inquire on it. In a lot of cases with everything that you do in life, you go, oh, no, I'll leave that till after Christmas or in the new year. But in this case, it's not a bad idea to actually, if you want to, if you're looking at selling your house, to actually list it now and, you never know what might happen early in the new year. Absolutely, yeah. We've got a couple that are going on in the next. In, they'll go onto the market next week, yeah. And it's it's a it's a great time for people to do a little bit of homework on it as well. All right, I think we've uh, we've covered just about everything we need to cover. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and uh, and the team at uh, Westwoods. And uh, I hope twenty twenty two is better in every way because it has to be. <laughs> We're resisting the urge to get buoyed about 2022 and we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, thanks, Kevin, and Merry Christmas to you and the family as well. We'll talk soon. 
Don't forget, if you'd like to get in touch with Rob, you can do it through uh, First National Westwood. Their website is westwoodfn.com.au. Jump on there and have a look at all the services that they offer and uh, some properties that you might be interested in too. And if you like, uh, follow that up with a phone call, 9742-5555. Look forward to your company on the next episode of Go West, the real estate podcast. Whether you're buying, selling, investing or renting, uh, we've got, uh, I know you've got questions. We've hopefully got the answers for you here on Go West, the real estate podcast. Podcast. Until the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier. Take care, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year.